job to ensure that students are afforded the uh, knowledge and the ability to receive funds to help pay for their college education here at Spelman College. Of course, the cost to come to Spelman is a little over $40,000, so trying to make that a reality for the young women who come to Spelman College is always a challenge, mm -hmm. especially when they're starting college, not really understanding or knowing where that $40,000 is going to come from. So we have funds, of course, from the federal government. We're looking for students to bring funds with them, be it out of parents' pockets, their pockets, whether it's outside scholarships, institutional scholarships, student loans, parent loans, private loans, the whole gamut. So when you think about financial aid, you think about an umbrella. Mm -hmm. And under that umbrella, you're going to see all types of aid that comes in to allow students to finance their education at Spelman. Okay. So college costs are rising across the country, not just at Spelman, and it's put us in a situation where it's harder and harder to get grants and federal funding, and so student debt is just soaring. And to put it into context, at the end of 2016, student loan debt was at $1.3 trillion, and that increased by over $31 billion just over the previous quarter. So in your opinion, what are some of the major mistakes that students are making when it comes to financing their education? Well, when you say mistakes, I don't know that they're mistakes. I think one of the issues has to be taken into consideration going to a school that they can truly afford. So I understand and I, I'm a firm believer that students should attend the college of their choice if, they're, if they get in. But then you also have to look at how is that education going to be funded. And so one of the things that students and or parents don't look at is um, the future, what it's going to look like for that student way down the road. So as a parent, we want parents to help students make good choices. So it's hard when you sit in this seat to tell a student you really need to look at the overall cost and what it's going to cost you and is this where you should be. So I tell students... When you're applying to college, you should apply to your absolute sure school. So that might mean a state school. That might mean a community uh, college. That might mean a four-year state school. And then you look at all the other colleges, the private schools, and that sort of thing. Then you want to check out what it's going to cost. What kind of scholarships does that school offer to students? And then what are your uh, contributions from home, from uh, scholarships that you may get. So I don't think students make mistakes in terms of loans because once they're there, then it's got to be paid. And if they don't have the money, the resources to do it, they, the only resort is to take out loans. So I think the mistake happens on the front end. And I don't want to call it really a mistake 
but maybe not wise decisions in where you attend college. Because we know today that a four-year undergraduate degree is not going to be enough. That that right. student's going to have to go on and get a graduate degree, a law degree, a, some other formal education, uh, depending on their major, in order to get that high-paying job when they leave college. So if they do have student loan debt, that their careers are going to be able to afford them to repay those student loans. So I think that we, as a group of people, really need to sit down and evaluate where our students end up in college uh, and how they're going to afford to pay for college. And parents need to look way down the road because most parents already know what it is to be in debt. A 17, 18-year-old really doesn't have an idea. They know that I want to go to, and we'll use Spelman, I want to go to Spelman College. And it's, I've wanted to go to Spelman since I was five years old. And therefore, nothing else seems feasible. And if I can't go, they don't understand. I'm not going. I'm upset. I'm not happy. And they feel like they're not going to be happy anywhere else. Right. And that's, I think that's more the issue opposed to students, you know, deciding to... Um, go to the college that they really, they and their parents really can't afford to make happen and be a reality for them. Yeah, I can imagine that's a, that's a hard sell, though, for a student who's really set on a particular school or has gotten into a very prestigious school based on their hard work in high school and their academic achievements and just can't afford it. Yeah, and one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, and our former president used to always say, Spelman is healthy, not wealthy. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, we have a really pretty sizable endowment, but when you look at how many needy students we get versus uh, Harvard and Yale, so when they say they can package that needy student almost up to the cost of attendance and not have that student in debt, you have to look at, well, first of all, their endowments are much larger. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they don't get as many needy students as we get. So if I get 95% of my students are needy and needing some help to pay for school, where a Harvard may have a 30% need of students, then those students, they can afford to give them a, more money. Whereas if I've got to take uh, the pot of money that I have, and divided among 95% of my students, that means that each student is not going to get as much as they need to bridge that gap between what it costs and any aid that they may get and what the parents have to get. And so that leads that student to have to borrow funds to go to school. And I think that that's what people don't realize. Yeah, the Harvards and some of these other schools, yeah, they can say, yeah, come. And we're, we're saying that's great if you've got a student who has done well academically and is able to get into a school, you know, an Ivy League school, that's wonderful because more than likely if they're a need-based student, they're going to get money because the Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons, they don't do merit. They only do need. Really? Yes. So they're not looking at how well you've done to give you aid. Your aid is based on need alone. And if you're a very needy student, 
they're going to package you up to the hilt, mm -hmm. and you can come out of school debt-free from, from schools of that sort. But if you come to a school like Spelman, and you're a very needy student, say your family contribution is zero, meaning you're at the highest need that you could possibly be, and you didn't get an institutional scholarship, you don't have an outside scholarship, there's almost, it's almost impossible for me to package you up to need without some help from other, some other resource. And so therefore what ends up happening, that very needy student is that student who's going to be in debt coming to a school like Spelman and trying to figure out how to bridge that gap. And so our goal is to uh, put scholarships in front of those students, uh, put out on our website where they can look for scholarships, encouraging students to add uh, looking for scholarships to their daily planner. Mm -hmm. It's got to be part of their educational process that they're constantly looking for money that's going to help facilitate bridging that gap to I pay for school. I just, it just came to me. So what does the university, whether it's you guys or you know most universities, um, how do you essentially try to ingrain in a student's brain because most of them are like, okay, I got my loans, I got my financial aid award, my classes are validated, <coughs> I don't care about my credit and my monetary life anymore. Like, my, my bills are paid. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get students to consciously care just as much about what's essentially their credit score probably going down while they're in college mm -hmm. as much as they do that they have an exam tomorrow? Right. And, and that is a hard thing. Simply because a lot of that should have started before they came to college, but we understand that a lot of students don't get that financial literacy part before they come to school. So we talk about it. Um, you know, we have a module where students go in and they work on budgets, they work on uh, what it's going to look like when they get out of school, uh, what they think their salary may be, and then adding in what that student loan's going to be, and when they get that car and that mortgage or rent or whatever, all the way down so that they get an idea, and we want them to do those modules every year. And these are required. required? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to make it a requirement. You know, we would love to add it to the curriculum to say that this is a requirement. It has not been a requirement, but one of the things we're trying to do uh, with the upcoming class is add it to something they need to do before they get here. How would it hinder the awarding process if they had to do it prior to receiving the monies? Uh, greatly. And, the, and let me tell you why. Um, we start awarding for, so we're, we're now working on academic year 1718. We started the award process in December, this past December, for students who aren't coming to school till next fall. So, yes. So these are students who are still in high school, but have already been admitted early decision, early notification. So they get their award letters before Christmas for next year. So they already know uh, what their financial aid is going to look like. So they've got time to start working on... Um, you know, trying to find other scholarships and other funds to help pay for school. And of course, if you see on there, okay, well, I've got these loans, because we do package with loans. We've got these loans, and a lot of times they're not understanding. When they see this dollar, 
that this is a loan. You have to apply for it before you actually get the money. So we've kind of uh, segregated our loans on the award letter to put a statement. It's a loan, must apply, must be paid back. And I think at some schools, you know, some students want to come so badly that they're not thinking about that $3,500 I take today doesn't seem so bad. Mm. You know, $4,500 next, next year, not so bad, $5,500 my junior and senior year. But what if that's not enough? And now I've got to start dipping into private loan. So trying to get students to understand the reality of debt and debt management and how to save any type of refund they get. Because I think like this, if it's a refund, you came to school, you basically came with what you needed for school, you know, clothes and all those sorts of things. You're going to eat in the cafeteria. If you're really smart, suck it up, eat in the cafeteria, any money you get, Ramen sock noodles. it away. Yeah. <laughs> sock it away, sock it away. Because at the end of four years, I don't think they realize, you know, in some investments, you know, at that age, you can take a little more risk with your funds going up and down if you're in the stock market. Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know really what the answer is other than educate them hearing it over and over That's and over, over again. And maybe actually seeing um, how your money grows. So if I put away $500 over the period of some stock market, what would that look like over time? That they, And if you could show them that all I've had was 500 but now I've got 2000 over a period, hmm, right. that's a lot better than 500 I think, it's hard. I think the, the quarrel with it is it's hard to see a financial picture down the road when I don't have any gas today. Yeah. You know, or, or or I don't have money to wash my clothes, so I got to get on the highway and go home. Yes. You know, so uh, like you said, I think it starts before you get here. It's usually those students that uh, maybe the parents are a little bit more well off or they have uh, a little bit more financial literacy mm -hmm. understanding. They fare better financially while they're in school. Versus both parties coming in at the same uh, space and, and one just, you know, learning and outpacing the other. The student that's more educated prior to getting here, they're, a lot, they're in a lot better financial position when they leave school. They are. And, and you're right. For the student who comes who's barely in the door. Right. So you're talking about, first of all, they probably don't have a car. Although, I don't know, I look at the parking lot, a lot of them are driving. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of students who do not have vehicles. Are so, they allowed to have cars the first year? First year, they're not allowed to have okay. cars on campus. Okay. Okay, so if they bring their cars to campus and park somewhere else, ah. I mean, when I say bring the campus, bring to college with sure. them and park yeah. it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But they cannot have vehicles on yeah, campus. Yeah. 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 You know, so. Um, and so you're absolutely right. You know, having gas in your car. Um, just having to go home wash clothes or going somewhere to wash your clothes or letting them pile up and you come to your grandmother's house, you know, once a month to wash a load that she ends up washing for you. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it it is very difficult. So every, this is the problem. Every, not problem, every student is different. Every situation is different. So when we deal with students in financial aid, 
you have to deal with them where they are and where their families are. So one of the things, and I don't know how other schools function, but one of the things that I always feel is critically important is getting to know the families, not just the students. Because when you get to know the parents, and I'm talking about maybe by phone because sometimes they're not here, but if my if I have a student who's having a really difficult time, I want to call that parent while the student's in the office with me so that I can kind of hear and understand and figure out how we can best help this student. Simply because if we do not, they're not going to make it financially in school. You know, especially if they're doing extremely well, you know, I'm going to bust my butt to try to find that student some money. Where can we find some money to keep this student in school without having her so deep in debt when she leaves here? Because for the most part, I do know if they're going to graduate school, most of these students are going to be paying for graduate school. You know, there's going to be a few that are going to get full rides to graduate school, but for the most part, so if we can get them out of undergraduate school, if we could figure a way, if there could be enough money in the world to have every student at least come out of undergraduate school debt-free, then I think we have served that student well. It, it is very disheartening to see a student who comes out eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I know somebody who's looking at hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, in and student loans. Yeah, and you try to figure out, you know, that's that is so overwhelming yeah. that I think about how do you ever buy a house? He's, he doesn't feel like he's going to pay that in his lifetime. He pays the bare minimum, so yeah. he can pay. I mean. Yeah, he'll he'll probably never pay it off, oh, well, and at least at least the debt will die when he dies. It'll go to the grave with him. And you hate to even think of it like that, but student loan debt is one of those debts that you cannot write off in bankruptcy. You know, if, if that's new though, isn't no. it? What well, I, I feel like I heard that some years ago there were a lot of people, especially like doctors, going to medical school and filing for bankruptcy and getting their debts written off. No. Okay. No. That debt is a <laughs> life... Debunking myths here. <laughs> yes. That debt is a lifetime debt. Now, what, depending on your career field, you can go and teach in certain areas or if you're a medical doctor public service and work in certain areas where you can get that debt reduced, mm -hmm. but it's not going to go away. The Because you think of it like this. If that were the case, do you think about how many people who would, would file bankruptcy? Up. Because they would just file. Right. Figure, well, you know, wait seven years, my credit will be good again. Especially if you're a young person, you're 22, 23, coming out of undergraduate school, why not? We don't want to. We don't want students filing bankruptcy. Our goal is to not have them in as much debt. So bankruptcy is not going to do anybody any good in the sense that that student loan debt is yours. You know, the federal government. Just think of it. Who owns this debt? The feds. Do you think they want you to get out of this debt that easily? No. That's why they're not going to fund your exit from their system. I mean, that's why you can get a car loan, house loan, student loan, easy. You can't get a business loan. They exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you stay in that debt, and unfortunately, one of the things we do try to tell students, even if you can't pay, contact your lender. Talk to them. Pay something. Pay something, because really and truly, they don't want you to default. Yeah. 
you know, even if you defer, and if you defer it, all is more money. They get more money because the interest is not going to stop. The interest is still going to be accruing on that loan, and so it's going to go on forever. So there's got to be a way. And I, and I, you know, I certainly am not one to say don't go to a Spelman because, you know, if you don't come here, then you know, there's no need for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> But I, I want to find ways, and you know, I have two scholarship people in the office who are constantly on the internet looking for ways and sending out information. Here's another scholarship, here's a scholarship, apply, 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 apply. Unfortunately, you have to apply for so many to get one, but that's just the way it goes, you know. If you want to be debt free or as debt free as possible, you have to apply. You know, and what what I would hope that our students would have is the mentality of no debt. I don't like debt. I don't want debt. How can I make this happen? I think you have to think. I don't want debt. Um, not not coming to school getting credit cards. You don't have a job, but it's so easy to get a credit card. I knew a uh, uh, when I was a freshman. No, when I was a freshman, I knew a female that was a senior. She had nine maxed out credit cards oh in college. Oh, no. And so when you think about these lenders, and I call them predatory Absolutely. lenders, who give these credit cards to young people who have no jobs. And I don't, I'm not saying credit cards are bad, but the issue is, are you the type the of student who can handle a credit card? Every time there's a dance, does that mean you go buy a new dress, a new pair of shoes, a new pair of pants? You know, every time you go out to eat, yeah. you want to take the girl out to the nice fancy restaurant up in Buckhead. Pulling out the credit you card. Go? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got this. Though, but where you want to go? You, okay. <laughs> you know, and you have no money to pay. Yeah. So, or you say, well, I could make the month uh, the minimum. Yeah. So now you have debt forever on a credit card that you've eaten the food, you've gone to the show, you don't even remember what the show was about, but. And, and next time, next yeah, no book next semester <laughs> because right. now you have no money on the credit card yeah. to, even, to buy the essentials. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to think about is, and for young people, really being uh, fiscally responsible and how many of our students are there. And see, that's kind of where we want to step in. Like at 18, you don't think about that. Your credit is a snapshot of two things. Um, your your ability to do what you said you were going to do, because I didn't find it out until I was like maybe, I was about 25, and I had received a job offer at the uh, um, Department of Justice. Um, and there was something on my credit that uh, was erroneous. Um, but, you know, I, I talked to the recruiter, and she and I said, you know, I got experience, I interview well, why, does this one, why is this one thing stopping me from getting this job? And she said, employers look at it as you not doing what you said you would do. Like, it's your integrity. You didn't mm -hmm. pay on something you signed off on doing. And a lot of 18-year-olds, they don't, they don't think about that. They don't think about your financial reputation 10 years mm -hmm. from now. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just thinking, about, like you said, the dance tomorrow. Or, right. or, or, or we're homecoming. I need homecoming tickets. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, and, I, and I think what you just said is really critical. I think that if you could somehow pound into their heads about tomorrow, next year, next week, 
that being on your credit report could hamper your ability to be licensed as an attorney, a doctor, a job. When they pull your credit report, if there's something on there that's not good, it could stop you from getting that $100,000 job. 18, I'll get it fixed before I'm... You don't think about that. Yeah. yeah. But I think that one of the things is this, and I'm a firm believer in at least telling them. They don't forget that they've been told. It may not sink in then, but eventually, if it happens to them that stops them from getting, I wish I had listened. Yeah. And not, I wish somebody had told me. I wish somebody had talked to me because I, I, I can honestly say, so I had a full day scholarship. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would still get uh, my refund checks. It was based on my, mom, my mother's salary. I would file for my refunds after my bill was paid. So I got a check every semester for like six or $7,000. I should have had, I should have owned two cars when I got out of college. I should have had some property. I can tell you that I probably wasted about $10,000 on clothes or whatever was the fad at the mm -hmm. time or mm -hmm. or just thing, you know, not thinking about, like I could literally own one of the houses right now that's near the campus that four students are paying $500 a month right. to rent out forever because that university is going to be there forever. So no one came to me when I was 19 and said, hey, you know, you're going to get $30,000 over the next four years. What are you going to do with it? Right. Well, that that kind of makes me ask, and I, I'm just still not clear on why more colleges and universities don't have financial literacy courses. Because if, like myself and Torrance, if we don't have to visit the financial aid office, because we're fortunate enough to have scholarship, we may not be hearing this sort of mentoring and counseling um, financially that other people are that have to come to the financial aid office fairly regularly. So why isn't this a standard course that all students are required to take. Required to take. Required to take. This episode of the HBCU Wall Street Podcast Show is sponsored by North Carolina Mutual. North Carolina Mutual has a full range of insurance and financial services to help protect the important people and things in your life. Um, that's a good question because I think it's very much needed. Well, a couple of things. So when you talk about making it a course, then you have to talk about um, the curriculum committee. Then you have to think about Department of Ed because if, when we're talking about all students, we've got to make sure that it's going to pass Department of Ed standards in order for financial aid, especially a student getting Pell Grant or some other federal dollars, that it's going to pass the standards to be considered a course. So is it a pass-fail course that you at least, you know, sat in the class so that, you know, we don't want to give anybody an F for failing financial literacy. You know, but well, I mean, people get F's in life for failing financial literacy. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. So it's it's something to think about. So I mean, it really has to go before the.
curriculum committee. It has to be vetted out, and really a course then has to be created. Is it? I mean, it's done all the time. Right. Schools create courses that they think are only, you know, should be taught at there. Like we have a, a course that's called African Diaspora in the World. You know, so students take that course, you, you know, it may transfer to another institution, but it's not going to count for something towards their major because it's a Spelman course. Right. So financial literacy could be taught in a way that when you leave, maybe it should be for credit and um, so that you truly did understand it. And maybe if you do make it for credit, students would take it um, and be more responsible with it in the sense that they would learn it because they'd have to take a test at right. the end of, yeah. end of course or midterm or whatever, opposed to, oh, I know I'm only going to get pass-fail, let me at least show up if I don't have, you know, write a couple papers, turn in and do whatever I need to do, but I'm going to still pass the course. So I, I think that that's something that needs to be looked at. I do believe, however, that institutions across the country are making financial literacy part of their environment in, in the sense that they may have a, a seminar on it, but no course <coughs> that is mandatory. Mm -hmm. I think in our freshman year experience, in our sophomore year experience, uh, financial literacy is part of their uh, convocations that they have each week. So I think it's... That's what I was going to ask, bro. Yeah. If we did a freshman orientation at John C. Smith, and I'm thinking, like, it could have, what you're, you know, what we're talking about could easily fit into an orientation class. Right. So. But in an orientation class, so you go, it's a one hour right. a week. Yeah. How much you really, you know... Tame. So you're in a big auditorium. Yeah. Are you sitting there with your phone? Probably. You know, are you really listening? Yeah. Because all you had to do was swipe in that you showed up. Mm -hmm. and, and there's no assignments. and Yeah, in, in uh, freshman year experience and sophomore, there is, but there, you know, you may have to write two papers. Well, that's okay. part of the list that if you came from somewhere, uh, if you came from a background or a family where credit and financial literacy yeah. and wealth isn't at the forefront of conversation. So I hear you on the stage screaming investment and ROIs. Yeah. And, and I may already have all that. You know, my parents yeah. probably have right. a trust fund set up for yeah. me and I've been... Or don't. Or <laughs> don't. Right. So I'm either going to listen or I'm going to tune it out. There's or no I'm going to tune it out. Right. So, and I think that for most 18-year-olds, it's probably not at the top of their list. It's not at all. <laughs> you know, I got this paper to write. I wish they'd hurry up and let me out of here kind of mentality. Uh, but then there's those that you know, we'll take advantage. So, what you then have to say is, how many did I reach? Uh, 500 young folks in, in an auditorium. Did I reach 10? It's a low percentage, but you did reach somebody. And maybe it has to be um, the trainer trains the... Train the trainer. Yes. I think that students follow students better than they follow adults. Right. Even as young as you all are, mm -hmm. you're probably pretty old to our students. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, when you're a student, if and you're, you may not be 30 yet, but a student is at 18, a 30-year-old is pretty old yeah. to them. Yeah. Okay, so anybody older than that, yeah. they're anxious. Yeah. So I think that you're absolutely correct. If you had 
you know, on several campuses, students who could take $500 to $1,000 and invest it. Yeah. And over the course of time, even if they got more money, keep, you know, putting towards that investment so that they could see their investment grow. So it may not grow to be $100,000 by the time they graduate, yeah. but to see that it may have grown to $5,000. They have the mindset of the mentality yeah. of watching their cash, right. it, knowing that, you know, I can start with nothing and have something because as we've been going to a lot of the campuses, a lot of the mindset is, you know, I don't got nothing, so I just ain't going to worry about it. I'm right. used to not having nothing. Right. I'm just going to stay with nothing. Right. And, and, and they don't understand that getting in the habit of saving. If you watch your money every day, it will grow. Yeah, because you... you if you're not in the habit, even if you only had $5, so when you earn more, you then can save more. And as you keep earning more, you keep increasing what you're able to save. But if you could take a little pot of money, you know, even if it's $100, buy a couple shares of something mm -hmm. and watch it grow over time and continue to put money towards that stock that it will grow. You just leave it there and watch it grow. But the other thing is learning how to watch the stock market. You know, a lot of students don't even understand yeah, this. Talk about that. That's some of the stuff we <laughs> teach. We, we, what we do is we, we, we step away from curriculum. You know, we have discussions. We, we have quick videos. We have, like you said, modules that take five minutes. But the mm -hmm. modules alter your mind. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I never thought about that. You maybe didn't really learn too much to implement, but right. it makes you take action. Yeah. And so, I like the idea of five minutes. Because mm -hmm. that's, yes, you know, right. we've got, yeah. everything is instant yeah, right. with these kids. Yeah. You can't it's have them sit not down. not watching a 30-minute video. No. First of all, they're going to, their mind is going to be somewhere else. Right. Their, their phone's going to be right there. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as they get an instant message or, um, text message or whatever, or even a phone call, you know. The, you know, they're listening, but they're also involved in something else. So right. they may miss something very important. Yeah. But a five-minute video, I think most students can hang for five minutes. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. so I... I all video short. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's all about just quick, quick, yeah, quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. change your thought process, right? Change your yeah. thought process quickly and then yeah. you take action. And that's Intrigue. why we have... The panels are not a bunch of jargon and what we should do and shoulds and shoulds. It's mm -hmm. what can I do when I leave out of here. Right. It's, it's sort of, it reminds me of the um, things you see at the movies. Mm -hmm. You know, the quick scene of the popcorn, mm -hmm. the soda. Mm -hmm. It's just a flash. Mm -hmm. And then it puts in your mind, oh, i got to go get me some popcorn. <laughs> you know? So it's that, that kind of quick um, that it changes or alters your mind and you start thinking what you need. Or somebody says something and it alters your mind. And I say, oh, I never thought of that. And let me try, try it. And my thing is this. You don't know if it's going to work for you unless you try it. So at least try. So make up your mind. You know, our students are pretty good. When their mind's made up, they're going to do something. They're, they're going to do it. So I think if you could get them in the mindset of doing it. Right. And then what better uh, resource do you have other than another student telling another student telling right. another student? I know student. on A&T's campus, some, seven students know about something within 10 minutes. It spreads like wildfire. So well, one student goes in their calculus class and says, hey, you know, working with HBC Wall Street, I was part of this pilot program, I made $500 last month. It's my money. Like, 
everyone you know they'll flock to it immediately. So what you know we we've kind of like alluded to this whole evolution of education of of um, these soaring um, student loan debt. Um, but I'm interested to know when you, since you've been in education for a while, when did you realize, like, oh, wow, like, in 2017 or 2000, whatever, that might be a problem for students. Like, when did you realize that that soaring debt, like, was that a 90s thing that you realized that student loan debt was, like, really starting to become something that you, you know, and maybe others saw as a potential issue? Um, yeah, so. That's a good question, and let me tell you why. <laughs> you know, I, I left Spelman in 93, okay. and then I came back in 2000. Mm -hmm. And in the interview, when I came back, of course, it was some of the same people that I already knew when I left, but I interviewed with uh, the CFO of, of Spelman. Um, and one of the questions he asked me was about student loans. Mm -hmm. And I remember it as if it were yesterday. And he says, well, Lenore, how do you feel about student loan debt? Yeah. And I said, you know, I hate it. I, you know, I just don't, you know, I wish that students didn't have to take out loans. Yeah. And yeah. so I went on and on about this disgust about student loan debt. Yeah. I almost got myself out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of like, well, are you saying that you don't believe students should, and I could see where yeah. this was going, yeah, 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 yeah. and, you know, I had to yeah. quickly recover and say yeah. it's not so much that I don't think that students should have debt, but one of the things I wish we could get to is minimal debt. Yeah. Yeah. Minimal federal student loan debt. Mm -hmm. Subsidized loan debt, $19,000. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's reasonable yeah. for a four-year education. Yeah. If every undergraduate student who had to take out student loan debt mm -hmm. only came out of school with $19,000 in debt, mm -hmm. that's I, be okay. they could pay <laughs> that's that. That's yes. And <laughs> if that meant that when they graduated mm -hmm. and they got a job, and they moved back home with their parents where they didn't have to pay rent and this yeah. other overhead yeah. and took their paycheck and really just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Within a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. that debt would be paid off, mm -hmm. then move out yeah. and be able to take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Students are moving home anyway. Students, yeah. well, they're moving home now because they have they no choice. <laughs> they can't afford to be out on their own. Right. Yeah. But if we could keep debt down and then they moved home, where they could go ahead and knock that debt out of the way, but that's not reality. Yeah. So um, that would be my wish that you know I could see nineteen thousand dollars worth of debt okay. is is reasonable, but when you get to sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety thousand in undergraduate school four year degree, that's hard. Okay. That's hard when you when you do have to go on to graduate school or some right. uh, post-bac program uh, that you're going to have to pay for and and be out on your own, yeah. you know, because most times you're not moving back. If you're not in the city where your parents live for undergrad, more than likely you're not going back uh, to go to some program yeah. past undergraduate school. Yeah. And so I would say about 2000 is when I really, maybe a little bit before that in the late 90s, okay. looking at the amount of debt that students were incurring yeah. um, 
you know, trying to finish up an undergraduate degree was getting out of control, and now it's just totally out of control. Because one of the issues is with federal dollars, it's not keeping pace. Uh, when I say uh, federal dollars, I'm talking free dollars like Pell, mm -hmm. Supplemental Education Opportunity Grant. Yeah. The increases in those yeah. are not keeping pace with the increase in the cost in of education. Yeah. And so education goes up if, <laughs> if schools could, could say, okay, well, I'm going to raise uh, tuition and room and board and stuff by this percentage. Uh, feds, I need you to give me this percentage more for these students to help pay for that increase. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So as the cost of education goes up, the um, feds are not keeping pace mm -hmm. and um, with giving students this additional money to yeah. pay for school. Yeah. And now the, the bigger issue is looking at what the feds are doing in terms of a student who was Pell eligible used to be able to go to school till they finish on Pell. Now the feds are saying, you're either done in six years, 150% worth of education, or your Pell is cut off. I don't care that you still are at a zero EFC, you, get, you have no more Pell eligibility. Student loans are the same way. And the reason, and I could see cutting it off on student loans, because <coughs> students all it does is perpetuate this, the, the problem and increase that debt that they have. Um, and then you, you've got the student who has to work to put themselves through yeah. school while they're going to school yeah. uh, just to make ends meet, you know, pay rent or, you know, trying to get back and forth to the campus or whatever. Uh, it's, it's a very scary proposition, and you're talking about billions of dollars, trillion? Trillion. Trillion of dollars of debt. Yeah. Student loan debt. Student loan debt. Make sure to visit hbcuwallstreet.com to download our app and learn more about our resources on financial literacy, investing in stocks and real estate, and starting and owning businesses.